This Autoconverse podcast is brought to you in part by Acorns, Grow Your Oak. Acorns helps you grow your money. In under five minutes, get investment accounts for you and your family, plus retirement, checking, ways to earn more money, and grow your knowledge. Take control with all-in-one investment, retirement, checking, and more. Just $1, $3, or $5 a month. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com slash acorns. That's www.autoconverse.com forward slash acorns. From Acorns, Mighty Oaks Do Grow. While this uh, horrible situation has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. Uh, obviously, they, they have levels of severity. Now, this train was subject to uh, certain enhanced requirements because of the hazardous materials on board. But obviously, none of that prevented what happened in East Palestine. It's one of the reasons we're going to be paying very close attention to the findings that NTSB comes back with. EPA has uh, already uh, sent a letter notifying, uh, in, in a formal way, notifying Norfolk Southern uh, of its responsibilities. Uh, obviously, uh, I can't get ahead of an investigation that is active and ongoing, but Norfolk Southern will uh, have to answer to EPA for the environmental side uh, and to our department uh, if there were any violations of, uh, of rules that were found. That was Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg responding to the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, last week near the Pennsylvania border. The derailment reportedly consisted of more than 50 train cars, 11 of which were transporting toxic chemicals. As a result of the crash, residents were required to evacuate so that officials could burn off the toxic waste. And some speculate that the entire town might be indefinitely inhabitable. Secretary Pete is calling for immediate action, while others are calling for his resignation. From Autoburst Media, this is Autoconverse. Hey, we got a good show lined up for you today. Oh, well, I'm a Game of Thrones nut, so that's, that's, that's my jam. The robots are listening. The robots are listening. All right, and welcome to this episode of the Autoconverse podcast, where we explore people, ideas, and technologies that influence how we are connected and the way we get around. I am Ryan Girardi, your host, and it's great, as always, to be here with you. So you might be noticing reports of train derailments in the media, which appears to be in a slight frenzy about them. But as bad as they sound and as and as bad as they can be in some instances, particularly this one in Ohio that again, required a citywide evacuation because of toxic chemicals, train derailments in the U.S. are not that uncommon. Federal data shows that more than 1,000 train derailments happen each year on average. Most do not cause extensive damage or result in injuries or death. From 1990 to 2021, there were an average of 1,700 train derailments per year. And this is according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Transportation Statistics and Federal Railroad Administration. In 2021, there were just under 1,100 train derailments. This also, according to the Bureau, that amounts to an average of about 90 derailments per month or about three per day. And although they are common, they are not commonly catastrophic. But when they are, who should be held accountable? 
Well, you heard uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg talking. He wants the nation's freight railroads to immediately act to improve safety with regulators and try to strengthen safety rules. He also said that the Department of Transportation will hold the railroad accountable for any safety violations that contributed to the February 3rd crash near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. Some, however, think that Pete should resign because he has not acted soon enough and because of the chaos that the airlines have been going through since the pandemic. Here is Bill O'Reilly and his take on the secretary. Let's go to uh, Ohio uh, because uh, Judge won't. <laughs> now, this is just, I can't understand this at all. I'm a logical man. So I wrote a message of the day, and we encourage everybody in the morning, go to BillOReilly.com. You don't have to be a premier and concierge member. The message is for everybody. And the message today says Pete Buttigieg is finished as a national politician because the guy is just so incompetent, it's stunning. So why wouldn't you, all right, 18 days, it's been 18 days since that train derailed in East Palestine. Why wouldn't you go there and just try to reassure the people who are suffering? It's an hour and a half flight from D.C. You get on a government plane. Why wouldn't you go? You're the Secretary of Transportation. You oversee interstate travel, like the train. Why wouldn't you go? There's no explanation. None. He doesn't show up. It's like Biden at the border, Kamala at the border. They just don't bother But for Buttigieg, what else does he have to do? I mean, what do you do all day? You don't solve the airline problems. None of those airlines who abuse customers have been held to account. None of them. And they put out fraudulent schedules. They abuse customers uh, by knowing the planes wouldn't be able to take off and didn't tell them not to even mention the baggage situations and everything else. What has Buttigieg done? Nothing. Nothing. So he's through. Because even the dumbest voter has got to know what happened here. Now, Bill is coming from a political perspective, so you have to look through some of what he says there. But I am curious about what you think about this. Should Pete resign? Should he be the one ultimately held accountable for this particular mishap? And should he be visiting the town, as Bill suggests as well? Reach out to me on Telegram or even LinkedIn or on the blog, autoconverse.com. We'll see a post about this and let me know your thoughts. I'd be curious and I'd be happy to read them on the air. Before we get further into that, how about some headlines? So to kick things off, Hyundai and Kia have launched a service campaign to help prevent theft of millions of vehicles which are being targeted by a social media challenge. Apparently, there is some sort of challenge on TikTok that has spread nationwide and has resulted in at least 14 reported crashes and eight fatalities. So the National Highway Transportation Safety Authority is urging owners of the vehicles to contact Hyundai and Kia for more information about how they can get a free update, the software updates the theft alarm 
software logic to extend the length of the alarm sound from 30 seconds to 60 seconds for one minute. And it also requires the key to be in the ignition switch to turn the vehicle on. My guess is that people found a way to get into certain Hyundai and Kia models and hack them and take off of them. And then they've crashed the cars and even some of you have died doing this. Probably because they're on their phones trying to TikTok it at the same time. So if you own a Hyundai or a Kia and you're concerned about that, uh, check with your local dealer and uh, see if you need and if so can get that software update. Hyundai also wants to simplify EV ownership with a new EV subscription program called Evolve Plus. During a presentation at the Chicago Auto Show earlier this month, Hyundai Motor North America introduced the subscription program aimed at EV-curious consumers. The all-encompassing monthly price includes the EV itself, plus insurance, roadside assistance, and maintenance. So Hyundai continues its massive leap into electrification in a short period of time and already into this year. Not only has the automaker fully embraced a transition to EVs across its three marquees, it continues to deliver consumers some of the best bang for the buck in terms of technology, performance, and design. Ford has sold a majority stake in Rivian after reporting a $7.3 billion write-down. This according to regulatory filings. Ford's stake in the electric vehicle maker, which has been dropping steadily since May of 2022, is now at 1.15% or 10.5 million shares. The sell comes a week after Ford reported a $7.3 billion write-down on its Rivian investment last year. Since February 22, Rivian stock has plummeted almost 70%. Ford has followed this playbook with Rivian before, report a write-down, then sell to recuperate some of the losses. Last April, Ford reported $5.4 billion mark-to-market loss on its Rivian investment. In the following month, Ford sold 15 million shares in two separate transactions, bringing its stake in the EV maker below 10%. To provide some perspective, Ford's relationship with Rivian began with a $500 million investment in the EV startup back in 2019. At the time, Ford also said it would build a vehicle on Rivian's skateboard platform. The legacy automaker has canceled those plans in November of 2021, citing a shift in direction toward building its own lineup of EVs. Four months later, Ford increased in-house electrification investment to $50 billion through 2026, up from the previous $30 billion by 2025. The automaker said it would also run its EV business unit as a separate business from its combustion engine business. So to sum that all up, Ford initially went in with Rivian probably to have an EV partner and to, and to go that direction, but very quickly changed plans and started bringing that all in-house and has been whittling itself away from Rivian. Case in point, Ford does plan to build an EV battery plant in Michigan, this one with a Chinese company, Contemporary Amperex Technology. The multi-billion dollar facility will be located about 100 miles west of Detroit and is expected to create about 2,500 jobs. Ford is moving ahead with the project despite uncertainty how the U.S. Treasury Department will interpret requirements in President Biden's signature climate package, the Inflation Reduction Act. The law is designed to withhold consumer tax credits for electric vehicles made with a certain amount of China-linked materials in their batteries. 
The article goes on to say that Ford and the Chinese company, which is the world's biggest maker of batteries for electric vehicles, have been weighing a novel ownership structure under which Ford would own 100% of the plant, including the building and the infrastructure. Bloomberg reported on that last year, and Ford workers would build the batteries while CATL, that's the Chinese company, owns the technology to create the cells. So this type of arrangement would allow the facility to qualify for lucrative production tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act while requiring no direct financial investment from CATL. And on a similar note, you've probably heard me say, automakers of yesterday became mobility companies, and now they're becoming energy companies, just like Tesla. And General Motors is trying to speed ahead in the race for metals, underpinning the industry's shift to electric cars. GM is competing for a stake in Vail's base metal unit. A deal may give GM access to the Brazilian mining giant's copper and nickel resources that are key to making EV batteries. GM has made several wagers recently, buying equity, while rivals mostly signed supply deals. And last month, it brought a $650 million stake in Lithium Americas to help develop Nevada's Thacker Pass mine, which may support output as many as 1 million EVs per year. In October, GM invested $69 million in Australia's Queensland Pacific Metals, which is a producer of nickel and cobalt. So the moves are strategic bets to secure supplies that are getting increasingly more sought after as we need more EV batteries. Now, not only do we need metals to make EV batteries, then we got to provide chargers to charge these cars. And Tesla has now agreed uh, to double its supercharger network and make it open to all EVs. And this is to dip into the coffers of Biden's $7.5 billion EV charging initiative that requires some level of compatibility. So the Biden administration laid out on Wednesday the final standards for its plan to build a national network of 500,000 electric vehicle chargers along highways, including a requirement that all EVs charge, all EV chargers funded through the Inflation Reduction Act must be built in the United States. And specifically, the final assembly and all manufacturing processes for any iron or steel charger enclosures or housing must occur in the United States as well. And by July of 2024, at least 55% of the cost of all components will need to be manufactured domestically as well. Obviously, a good thing for American manufacturing. And kudos to Tesla. And finally, we've been keeping an eye on the development of SpaceX satellite network Starlink. Well, SpaceX is now testing global Starlink roaming service for $200 a month. It's on its way. This according to emails sent to some customers, which reportedly have received an email invite about the upcoming global roaming service, and it delivers access across multiple countries. Email says the service allows the $599 Starlink terminal to connect from almost anywhere on land in the world. The service operates through inter-satellite laser links to provide global connectivity. There's also an alert that the service is dependent on regulatory approvals that have not been granted in all territories across the globe. The offer also notes that global roaming services are contingent on regulatory approvals. The global on-land service has been offered as SpaceX rolls out its Starlink maritime service for oceans and seas. Coming up. 
they've thought about it. They want to do it. They see the benefits of it. They see the value of it. Uh, they're going to handle this bill a different way, which is going to help them. Some people save upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the, the lifetime of a system. That's why I regret buying solar panels in America. Hi there. In case you live in the U.S. and are looking to buy solar panels, I have something really important to tell you. You shouldn't. You should not buy solar panels in case you have a home in the U.S. And if you're wondering why, it's because right now, you can actually have the U.S. government buy solar panels for you. No. I'm not joking. Our government recently released a special solar stimulus program. And with the goal to help stop global warming, Americans will be able to get a complete solar system from our government at absolutely no net cost. And that way, go solar with little to no investment whatsoever. All you need to do is simply click the button below this video to take a quick survey our government provided, and by the end, you'll be qualified. So please, don't spend your own money on solar panels like I did, and click the button below this video now to qualify for this special program and have the U.S. government buy solar panels for you. Hey folks, before we continue, I'd like to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, Apricot Solar. As a listener of this podcast, you hear me talking about rising demand for electricity. And with an increase in demand, you can count on price increases. One way to combat this price hike is with energy independence by producing your own electricity. And one of the best ways to produce your own electricity at home is with solar energy. But not just any home solar energy system. The best way to go is with Apricot Solar. We experience the benefits of solar daily. They are real and undeniable. And even though it's been decades since its invention, there's still a lot of misinformation surrounding solar energy. As an example, the clip you heard me play earlier about solar costing you nothing was from a TikTok channel, and it is misleading. Apricot is here to change that. And that is why Apricot Solar wants homeowners to experience just how affordable and logical solar can be. From custom solutions to installation to financing, Apricot is your leading full-service solar provider, and we currently serve customers in almost every state, including, but not limited to, California, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Colorado, Utah, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and many others. Together with homeowners, Apricot is working to make this clean energy source mainstream, saving you big dollars in the process. We believe the time is finally here to do energy differently. We have to be smarter. There is a better way, and more and more people are understanding that it is right in front of us. At Apricot, solar is finally simple. We want your solar switch to be as smooth and seamless as possible. We are here to answer your questions, and a visit to your home is how we set a plan that makes the most sense for you and your family. You do not get just solar panels. With Apricot, you receive a complete net zero home system with service to match. Every component is designed to work together perfectly, from those first rays of sunlight hitting your roof to flicking on your light switch. Find out more by going to autoconverse.com forward slash solar or text the keyword solar to 855-766-7585 and get started today. You will be glad that you did. Okay, in our final segment, you are going to hear parts of my conversation with Steve Biggins, an independent solar power advisor who works with Apricot Solar and Freedom Forever 
to provide solar power energy solutions to homeowners. It begins with Steve providing some background on how he got into the solar business. Steve shares some of his experiences talking with homeowners about solar and the fact that there are over, ready for this, 9,000 solar companies in the U.S. I couldn't believe it either. We also get into the process of how your home generates solar power for the grid, and most importantly, how living in areas that have cloudy days are still great contributors to the grid. Please enjoy my conversation with Steve Biggins. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Mobility Tech and Connectivity Show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, good. Let's get into, um, let's get into why you're here. I talk about some of the pros and cons of solar, just to help give everybody that's that's watching this or listening to this. Could you give us some context of your background in the solar energy business to start off with? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, uh, I'm coming up on three years now in solar. So my background prior was was all in sales. Um, the previous decade to me getting in solar, I was with uh, the company Oracle, and I was selling you know cloud hardware, software cloud services, things of that nature. And um, I had actually heard a quote um, from Warren Buffett where he was talking about energy deregulation and the renewables markets being the greatest transfer of wealth in our generation, in his time and in his generation as well as ours. And that's what got me looking into it. So I've been in solar for about three years uh, with Apricot Solar. Uh, It's been one of the greatest blessings uh, of my life. Uh, I was completely fried out from the corporate world, beholden to, you know, those schedules. I didn't own any of my time, uh, you know, great money. But at the end of the day, what kind of life was I really living? What was my legacy going to be? And, um, you know, solar has really helped provide that for me. I've now done, you know, close to 400 projects in solar. Um, <clears throat> I have helped, you know, hundreds of homeowners be able to, you know, disconnect almost from, the monopoly utility companies that are that are just doing nothing but driving their price up, their cost of living up, and uh, you know helping to save the environment at the same time. So that's kind of the background how I got here three years ago. Now I'm a trainer. Uh, I'm helping you know people build teams all across the United States within the Apricot model, uh, helping our installation partner grow to national scale. Freedom Forever is our installation partner. So that's kind of how I got here and why I'm so excited about the the industry and the business as a whole. Great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think the first thing for me that comes to mind is I'm looking back to when I, I feel like a veil was lifted from me just a couple of months ago pertaining to the idea of solar energy. I can say, honestly, I wasn't thinking about, you know, solar power for my home. I wasn't thinking of it as dire or necessary. And I find in conversations with people when I bring it up, it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same thing. It's not top of mind for probably what ninety five percent of homeowners or more. Is that your experience too? When you talk with people about it? Yeah. So you know, it's a different way of doing what you've always done, right? And what we've always done is we got to keep the lights on. We got to keep the food cold. We see a bill come in. We pay the bill from the electric company. We pay no mind, right? Um, so yeah, it's not top of mind. What I can tell you is, I'd say more like. Mm-hmm you know, 50% at least of all homeowners and only 3% across the United States have even adopted solar yet. 97% of single family homes in the U.S. have yet to have solar, um, which is a huge opportunity. But what I find is, is that people have had an interest in it. 
Uh, probably one out of every two homeowners has looked into it, thought about it, uh, read an article about it. And what happens is they go on the Google machine, they start typing in information. And the next thing you know, their Facebook ads, their Instagram ads, their email inbox, their phone number, they're getting blasted. And there's so much information out there. Because Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but there's over 9,000 solar companies in the United States. Wow. Yeah. And the, you know, the technology is not new. It's been around since the 70s. But it's only really been affordable, call it for the last 15 years and even more so as you know, the technology advances over the last five have taken us to really the theoretical limit of the efficiency of what, what solar can do. And that cost keeps just keeps continuing to go down to be available for more people. So I'd say more so it's finding that trusted source. Um, you know, that's why, you know, when I'm calling on solar for, for new leads and new opportunities, I'm using my warm market business connections I've made over the last 20 years, people that I know, because they're getting inundated with all this information, all these different ads, and they don't know who to trust because it's such a new industry for the residential solar customer, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I'm finding is they've thought about it. They want to do it. They see the benefits of it. They see the value of it. Uh, they're going to handle this bill a different way, which is going to help them. Some people save upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the, the lifetime of a system. Yeah, it's, I, you you said it at just at the very beginning. We we we're accustomed to a certain way of doing things. We don't really question that or challenge that. One thing that was eye popping to me that I never knew about uh, uh, energy from the utility companies is that the rate that you pay for your kilowatt hours can actually vary throughout the day depending on demand. Is that tr- is that correct? In certain utilities, yes. So, you know, each each utility is going to have a different set of, you know, parameters in the way that they charge. And that's going to be a derivative of what their state law allows. Okay, so if you look at a market like Texas, where that is the the vision of the free market economy, there are no guardrails for the consumer. Okay, so not only did I see a 70 percent spike just this summer in Texas, which is kind of leveled off now. You know, there's no one saying what you can and can't do. Uh, there's no one saying, you know, it's okay to offer a program for two years that pays it at, you know, 10% of what everybody else is paying. But then the next two years, you have to pay a premium, right? There's all types of different things contractually that companies can get you into. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a where you live and where you line up, right? And at the end of the day, these are... And for most Americans, we're talking about investor-owned monopolies, right? Their fiduciary responsibility is to their stockholders. Mm -hmm. And then those same, they have to go through any changes or price increases through a commission with the state, like a public utility commission. But guess who usually sits on the board of that commission? (laughs) <laughs> the energy executives, all the former execs mm-hmm. <laughs> from California to Ohio to Florida. That's how it goes. So it's almost like they're giving us a semblance of control, but we really have none. Sure. Unless we, you know, own our own power. So, so go ahead. Let's speak to that. Cause do you, even if you're, you got solar panels on your roof and you're sourcing it, you don't just get that energy that you're sourcing. You're giving it back to the grid. Can you explain how that works 
and how, and maybe even add to that, how doing that circumvents the, the de facto process or, or does that really empower the yeah, home? So, so, uh, you know, when we talk about the efficiency of solar, that it's, it's up towards its theoretical limits, right? Um, so we're going to be, it's, they're not going to get much more efficient when it comes to this current technology. Um, where the gains need to be made is in storage, okay? Because every time that Florida Power and Light blows up a coal plant and puts in a solar farm, right, the generation is now limited to when the sun's out. So the more solar that comes online, the bigger the storage problem becomes. Mm-hmm. So in regards to how solar is done today residentially for, you know, in most jurisdictions and most states is I am producing everything my home needs during the day while the sun's out so that I can actually overproduce, meaning that for every kilowatt hour that I overproduce and send to the grid, my electric company is selling that to my neighbors at retail price and giving me a credit to use when the sun's not out. And that's how it goes all day, sunny days, snowy days, rainy days, doesn't matter. Um, You know, it's credits, debits, credits, debits, credits, debits. We aim to replace all of your electric bill from fossil fuels with a new solar bill that's less and can never go up. So that's how we work with the the system of net metering. Um, Where that really becomes beneficial is if you look at like where the, you know, rolling brownouts and blackouts and things like that. Think about your neighborhood. If you have a solar system on your house and it's sunny out and there is a deficiency in the amount of power needed because it's super hot and everyone's running their air conditioners and they're getting ready to shut down the grid. Think about how much more resilient your neighborhood is to that brownout because you're putting a power source into that neighborhood, right? So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the, the back and forth of solar. The, the laws require that if you produce energy, you send it to the grid like you just explained, you get the credits. That'll never change as far as you're concerned, will it? Will, it will, will a neighborhood ever be able to just produce and have their own power and not have to deal with the grid? Uh, that when, disadvantageous? When, when the battery technology catches up, when the storage capacity technology catches up, okay. and there's a lot of great things going on with that, a lot of great, uh, you know, um, tests that are being run, you know, theories that are being played out, uh, you're going to start to see that price and that technology improve and the price come down over the next two to seven years. And yes, that is then going to be an option. As you said, if the, when the sun's out, you're able to, the technology today is typically producing enough power for you to be using right now. But what about on cloudy days? We didn't see the sun here in Chicago. I'm not exaggerating for probably at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. We had sunlight. Uh, I didn't have any Ohio, I, haven't, I haven't seen the sun in at least seven days, right? Okay, does that um, hinder production? It certainly does. Okay. Um, but what I can tell you is, is that, uh, you know, uh, our, our installation partner, Freedom Forever, you know, second or first largest residential installer in the United States, uh, you know, when it comes to solar, there's no greater decision you can make than choosing an install partner. That's why I solely work with Freedom Forever. They have a business plan to be in business, not only in 25 years, but in 50 years, which is what you need out of your solar provider because these contracts are long. So at the end of the day, what they've provided us is a a model uh, and software that can basically predict the sun. I mean, it is absolutely amazing. It uses AI. 
Uh, it's proprietary through through a large company that does the solar modeling, um, shading, things of that nature. But yeah, you know, a tree over your roof can affect it. Uh, you know, an extremely cloudy day can affect it. But I'm not relegating your entire solar day to just one day. I've got the whole month to make it up. I've got other months to utilize where I can significantly overproduce and roll those kilowatt hours to that time. So, you know, we're really good at, at modeling those things out. We don't, we don't make those mistakes. We know what we're doing. Okay. All right, that is a wrap. Thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to text the keyword AutoConverse to 855-766-7585. We will send you a link to our YouTube channel where you can get yourself subscribed and be notified when we do our live show. The live show, as a reminder, is a recording session for the podcast. That's where you heard like my interview just now with Steve Biggins. And if you ever want to tune in the live show, all you need is be subscribed to our YouTube channel. And if you're interested in what we're doing in the solar energy business, text the keyword solar to 855-766-7585. A, if you want to look into solar power for your home, or B, if you want to get into the residential solar business, make some serious money while also helping people enhance their own lives with solar power. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Ciao. This is Audiburst Media.